What up, witches? Thanks for downloading our podcast. This episode has our review of Boy Parts. <laughs> That's the second episode of American Horror Story Coven. Wait till you hear Tyler's faux pas with that title. Don't forget, you can find us on Facebook. In fact, you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash this American Horror Story Podcast. And we're on iTunes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to This American Horror Story, an unofficial podcast about the FX hit show American Horror Story. I am your host, Tyler Moss, here with my co-host, Chris Husted. What's going on? Hey, everybody. Um, we are actually recording this episode in the morning, the morning after the uh, episode two of this season coven because of some technical issues so we're approaching it from a little bit different i think it's kind of a we had um the night to kind of mull things over and hopefully um develop some new analysis and theories and stuff like that what are you drinking this morning my friend i have a nice uh batch of caribou coffee uh with some hazelnut creamer and a little bit of sugar it's delicious that's what i the hazelnuts what gets me going in the morning that's weird uh what are you drinking I am drinking coffee as well, but um, I am drinking some pumpkin coffee, kind of uh, fitting of the season. It kind of feels like fall over here. It feels like it because it is it. Yes, for good reason. Um, so I, before we, we dive in here, um, I just want to say this episode was called Boy Parts, which we're kind of sticking with the um, kind of campy tongue-in-cheek episode titles um, well, I, like what's your uh i mean do you like kind of this direction they're going with it this season as far as um the kind of the joke the jokes and the titles and all kind of the snark that they're including yeah i mean th- this is what they at least murphy and falchuk kind of uh um hinted at the style and the and the tone that this season would have and i mean so far they're they're definitely living up to that kind of more fun and whimsical, but snarky and sassy uh, tone. Yeah, and we definitely see some, I mean, bizarre things going on so far. Um, it, it definitely are making it a unique season compared to the other two, and that's what I, I mean, that's why we keep coming back to this show, is that it's, each season is so distinctly different, you know? It's a whole different uh, beast that we're unraveling. So before we begin here, of course, we want to remind everybody that you can um, post questions or comments on uh our Facebook page at facebook.com slash this American horror story podcast. And we please um, go there and, and like us. That would be great. And also you can email us at this American horror story pod, um, this American horror story at gmail.com. Um, if you have questions or comments and please um, head to iTunes and let us know what you think of the show ratings, reviews, whatever. Um, we appreciate critiques of any kind. We take them all into consideration. Every single one of them. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We're very open-minded. Uh, and with that, I if you are ready, I am ready to dive into boy parts. That sounds awkward. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Here we go. It's too early for this conversation. <laughs> Let's get going. So, um, opening scene, of course, we're kind of... I like that we're kind of taken out to the um, New Orleans swamp, which we haven't really seen yet. You know, we're kind of getting different um 
interesting scene or scenes in in kind of interesting New Orleans specific environments over these pe- first two episodes. Um, and we're here in the swamp with these gator hunting dudes who um, run into, of course, Lily Rabe, the necromancer who we thought was dead from last episode, who who got burned alive. We saw her get burned alive. Um, but she's back to life because, of course, she is a necromancer and brings things back to life, apparently including herself. And um, essentially, like, wanders up into the camp of these these gator hunters and proceeds to bring their gators back to life and like sick them upon these guys in a pretty gruesome way. <laughs> what did you, I mean, all while edge of 17 is playing that it was pretty gross though. Speaking of the mu- like the music that was playing here, I want to say that music played a really huge role. I, I felt in this episode, I, I was very aware of the music going on. And obviously um, later on when Zoe runs into the necromancer, they even, I mean, they talk about it too. They acknowledge the music playing a part, right? Yeah, they do. It's a lot of uh, Stevie Nicks happening in this episode, but also other choices they made. And I, I agree, I was definitely more aware of musical choices that they made in this episode. Uh, and it was all really masterfully done. I, I really appreciated it. I was going to ask you, so I mean, normally when we have a scene that kind of rolls before the credit sequence, it's um, meant to indicate some greater theme or something about what's going to happen in this episode. Did you feel like there was something deeper going on here besides just you know, showing us that the necromancer is back to life? Um, That's a good question because about halfway through this episode, I kind of wrote down what I thought the theme was of this uh, episode. And looking back, reflecting back on that opening sequence now, I guess, so I'll say what I think the theme of this episode is first, and then you can tell me what you think um, and how it applies maybe to this opening sequence. Uh, I I thought this was all about uh, life, creating it and prolonging it um, through a few of our characters who are dealing with that. And also uh, being alone. Um, those are kind of the the overarching themes that I, I thought were happening that all, all, most of our main characters were uh, dealing with. Now, how it applies to uh, Lily Rabe's character, which is, I think her name's Misty, uh, how it applies to Misty bringing back the alligators to kill their, I guess technically their predators or their hunters, it's there. Life and is there, but it's not really – I guess it doesn't really fit with my theme of prolonging it, it just or creating it. it her, her presence there is just, I think, to remind us that she's there, and here's a boo, scary sequence to remind you that she's pretty badass. What do you think? I think that's fair. Um, I definitely agree with you on the themes for this episode. Life and death is clearly um, a major theme from you know Cordelia – her dilemma to use magic to create a baby, essentially, to, um, you know, we've got Laveau and LaLaurie and Fiona, obviously, all discussing immortality um, and, you know, um, you know, having a set lifespan. And then at the same time, we've got the Zoe, yeah, the Zoe and Kyle uh, storyline, you know, bringing back this guy that's dead back to life, too. So Yeah, Frankenstein him. Right, and so I kind of thought that, in a similar way to what you were kind of expressing, that what the, what Misty really embodies is kind of both sides of that, <laughs> especially in this scene, you know? She's almost a god figure, because here we see her, she creates life by bringing these gators back to life, and she takes life by having the gators kill the gator hunters, you know what I mean? And so, I, I felt that... 
Oh, go ahead. She does say this is wrong when she looks at all the alligators strung up dead, and these are God's creatures. So maybe we're getting uh, an idea of what her philosophy on life is, which is her power as well as giving things life but never taking life. Well, but and then again, she kind of does take life indirectly. Yeah, she takes the um, life but- of people who take lives. Right, exactly. And so I think like to take your um, your analysis one step further, I would say it not only is about life and death, but it's about people manipulating the um, the natural order of these life and death laws, you know, which Misty embodies both like completely. But all of the other characters we just discussed are all trying to manipulate those laws as well in different ways. Right. Um, and kind of take on their own, you know, each of them, which is kind of fascinating, is kind of playing God in their own way. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, that's a interesting theme going forward and definitely sets a precedent for the whole episode. Plus, it was just a really cool scene to see her back to life, but also as like a pretty huge badass. Yeah. So let's talk now about um, kind of what's going on back at Miss Robichau's. Um, we see Kyle or we, okay, we see Madison and Zoe interacting or discussing the um the whole fraternity bus incident that happened last episode particularly zoe's kind of obsession with kyle still yeah that's um, a little weird sounds like she's been doing like online research about his past and stuff like that uh whereas madison kind of has the attitude that he deserved it and doesn't seem to believe that you know he was a different than those other guys and that he would have had his turn too if he'd been given the chance um she, she, I think she uses the phrase guilt by association. But, I mean, we do see a little bit of um, an obsession here uh, on, on Zoe's part, which obviously manifests itself later when she tries to bring him back to life. In the meantime, of course, we have... I mean, I think what we're really doing here is just setting up what, what where these three storylines we discussed in this episode. Yeah. So we've got that that Madison and Zoe kind of storyline with Kyle. Uh, on the other hand, we have Fiona and Cordelia. Um, basically, um, Fiona is secretly hiding, of course, Madame Laurie, who they La Laurie, who they dug out of the ground last episode, and is interrogating her about how she's still alive. Um. And then, I mean, we kind of have... So we're setting up these storylines. We do have this interesting cut that I wanted to get your opinion on where they're kind of going down for their morning meeting and we kind of see this flashback to what put Queenie into Miss Robichaux's. It's this... Right. She's working at a fried chicken place. Detroit and this guy, 2012. And this guy is basically kind of taking advantage of her by, like, basically being a tough, like, a tough customer and, like, he... You know, harassing her for not giving him enough chicken. And so she sticks her hand into boiling grease, and we see his arm, like, that's just sitting on the counter. Yeah, and that's kind of her revealing the voodoo doll style and kind of... um, Did you believe that she said... So she said, you know, he's like, did you fail math or something like that? And she's like, man, I I did... I aced calculus, trig... um, I forget what the other ones that she said were but do you think that might be the case or was she just trying to sass him back i don't know i think that maybe it is the case maybe 
it, she was a victim of circumstances. Um, or maybe she, another thing I'm thinking is maybe she's a misfit, you know, just because of her witchy powers or something like that. And that seems to be kind of a theme in this episode and within this community of like, we were talking about loneliness and kind of being, being a misfit. So maybe she, even though she was very smart, she was still kind of isolated. That being said, this whole sequence, this flashback feels a little out of place in this episode because it's really only time we spend with Queenie. And I don't understand. It doesn't, I mean, I guess it does fit the misfit overarching theme of the, of the show, but it doesn't really fit with the themes of this episode. So it's a little out of place. It's I, I like it because I, I'm interested in Queenie's character, um, especially when we come back from the flashback and she says, you know, I grew up on Charmed and Sabrina the Teenage Cracker. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. She didn't know there were black witches. Uh, so I that is a conversation that we absolutely should be having in this with this show. Um, and I'm excited that we're going to go down that path. But it, it felt a little out of place just in this episode. I liked it. I, I did. It just, it, it, we kind of visit it and then we don't do anything with it for the rest of the, the remainder of the episode, but the racial connotations and, and the conversation of um, the conversation that they, that they're starting to bring up is something that I think the show is definitely going to uh, handle. Cause they don't, they don't shy off of issues like that are controversial. Absolutely. And I would like to, I mean, not that race, race is controversial. <laughs> I I know what you mean. Um, I want, I would say that I do agree with you that this felt out of place in this episode. I feel like this belonged in last episode. Um, if we're looking at um, you know, basically, excuse me, the because we had Madison's kind of flashback last episode of what brought her there, and I kind of would have liked to have seen all those together. I'm guessing they just kind of wanted to stretch out, basically, um, see every, seeing everyone's past. But it felt like I I think that it would have felt more at home in last episode when we're kind of first introducing these characters. Um, one thing that I do think, you know, you know how you, you were saying that she came back and she talks about her relation to, I think it's Tituba. This, um, yeah. Tituba or something. Tituba. This basically it was a slave, a Salem slave who, um, new, new magic. And that's who she was descended from. And actually, I mean, if you've seen like the crucible, this is, it's actually one of the characters in in the um, in the story, but I was wondering if this is something we're going to come back to because we kind of have. I think it's Madison make a, a like a a comment about her being descended not directly from witches but from you know this slave witch instead, and obviously we kind of see Fiona and um, uh, Marie Laveau kind of come to a head on like what kind of witch this makes you later on. Right, right. Um, exactly. So I'm wondering, maybe maybe we're setting up some preposition that's going to divide Queenie from the rest of the group at Miss Robichaux's. And maybe, I absolutely maybe, think so. I mean, yeah. maybe Marie Laveau is going to recruit her or something like that. And maybe that's what they were trying to set up a little bit here. What do you think? Yeah, I I agree. I, I'm, I think that's definitely possible, especially when we hear that she's a descendant. Uh, and later on when we when we're with Marie Laveau and she talks about, I forget if it's Thibodeau or, what, or whoever, whomever it is, uh, that she basically gave the white witches a power or, or some magical power too. So there, there's a little animosity there. But I, I, I do think this is going to happen, but it does worry me that we might just, I don't want this to turn out to be an all-out race war. <laughs> I hope we're 
the, it's a more of an elevated conversation than that, which I'm sure, you know, it will be, it will be. But anyway, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I do think that that we're headed down that this path with uh, um, uh, uh, Queenie diverging from the group at uh, Roba Shows. Exactly. I hope that we can remain, you know, I hope it's more complex than that. But, um, you know, it's too, it's too early on to make any, you know, determination. So, I, you know, I, I give, um, I trust, like we talked about before, trust Murphy and Falchuk to, like you said, bring more elevated conversation to these kind of high level topics. Uh, of course, we then have some detectives show up to talk to Zoe and Madison about uh, what happened at the fraternity thing. Um, I don't want to spend too much time on this scene other than... Zoe breaks really quickly. <laughs> she starts <laughs> up to all this stuff. It's like, shut up! <laughs> exactly. A little too easily, if you ask me. They're all... Even Cordelia is telling her to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> she just totally falls apart, throws everyone under the bus. Even the people that she doesn't have to, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah. Like, not only does she throw Madison under the bus, but she's also like, these people are all witches, and they like... <laughs> She clearly cannot handle um, any pressure. And I think Fiona even makes this point later, like, you are very weak right now. You are way too concerned with what people think. So I think, uh, I mean, That's what a, we big, there. Mm-hmm, a big chunk of this story is going to be Zoe. Too, I think a big chunk of this whole season is going to be kind of Zoe coming into herself and gaining confidence and stuff like that. Absolutely. I wrote that down. Her character arc is definitely going to be she's going to have to toughen up and uh, accept herself and become strong and proud of that. Exactly. And of course, Fiona is the exact opposite of this and comes in and saves the situation by uh, messing with the minds of these um, detectives. Right, with her spit cocktail. Yes, Um, which was pretty gross. But, I I mean, cool little exhibition of magic. And once again, we kind of see Fiona's capable of anything. And not only that, but like, the way she she basically tells the guy that if he she you know she's manipulating his brain and if he doesn't like push back then she if he doesn't stop pushing back she's going to melt his brain mm-hmm. and we know she can do that pretty pretty powerful um <clears throat> it is interesting that our weakest character here uh and this is just a comment on uh on Zoe she's weak she's soft she's emotional uh, Fiona calls her out on it but her power this sexing people to death is such a non-innocent not a weak you know but it's an emotional connection you have with a person so it's interesting that her power is sexing people to death you know i don't know that the it's a dichotomy but it, it also kind of sort of makes sense that this would be her it's a burden but it's also empowering to use sex in this way but she's so emotional and she still sees it like when she kills the guy in the uh, previous episode in the in the hospital, she's doing him to death, but she's still like crying emotionally because of it. So she's she's that's that struggle that she's going to be facing through this whole season. I agree. I think that's an interesting point to bring up, and I'm sure something we'll continue to discuss as we go on is like how each of these powers is more than maybe just you know, um, a manipulation of the world around them, but also how it kind of, what it symbolizes basically, which I think you make a really interesting point there about kind of the, the emotional drive that, you know, is clearly still such a big part of Zoe. Um, <clears throat> another interesting thing that comes, kind of comes out of the scene. Of course we see 
Those guys' memories are erased. Fiona takes care of the whole situation. Uh, Madison's kind of pissed at Zoe for throwing her under the bus and everything. But Fiona is super pissed, of course, comes in and like throws them into the wall. But pretty much rails on Zoe by saying that like one thing you always have to remember is that we are better than them. Uh, them being regular people. And we kind of see... <laughs> there's There's a lot of... In this first two episodes we've seen so far, a lot of um, placing people in distinct groups. You know what I mean? Um, a lot of placing different groups of people at odds, whether it's voodoo witches versus regular witches, and obviously race relations, and um, or men and women, and in this case, magic versus non-magic. Yeah, you're um, right. There's a lot of different boxes that uh, people fit into. Right, a lot of posturing and putting these people in basically... Boxes that butt heads, um, but she, so she kind of has like that same superiority feeling that say someone like Lala Ree had over her slaves. Um, so Fiona is exercising a similar feeling over people who are non magic users. And I also like that she ended the scene by saying, "The only thing that you really need to be afraid of is me." Yeah, in this wicked world. You only need to be afraid of me. Yeah, it's pretty... I mean, it seems like we're getting hints of how powerful she is, so they should be. Exactly. Now, moving forward, I want to... Let's do one storyline at a time so we don't jump around here, because there are three disparate kind of storylines that don't interconnect that much, and so I think it'll be easy enough to do it. Um, First, I'm going to start with the Zoe and Madison storyline. Breaking into the morgue, resurrecting Kyle, basically. So... First of all, they drive up to the morgue, park right out in front, and break in through the front door. Um, in broad daylight, no cameras, no people there. I thought this was a little... I mean, obviously we're suspending disbelief with everything that's going on here. They're, I mean, they're magic users, so I'm trying to rein in my um, yeah. skepticism at this fact. But at the same time, it was kind of like, can they at least like sneak past some guards or something like that? It seemed a little bit too easy. Wow, also... Thoughts? I didn't. I, I didn't understand why she needed to pick the lock. Doesn't she have a power where she can just like you know move things, like move the lock or move the door open? Yeah, she could like rip the door off or, or something. She could like flip that. a bus. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe she, maybe she like isn't able to be that. Um, I want to say uh, that careful. W- w- like she can. She's only heavy-handed when she uses her powers. Like she can't be gentle and do like small things like you know if they were going to be secretive she couldn't just like move the lock mechanism she could like rip the door off but then it would be clear that someone broke in i don't know that's just a theory though but um of course they break in they find the bodies pretty quickly and it's like just bags of body parts which i don't know how that bus like effectively tore all of their body parts limb from limb but pretty kind of kind of gross here. Um, they're kind of going for the gross out factor, and I kind of felt like this episode in general and the first two episodes have been less about the like traditional horror and more about gross out factor. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. This was pretty gross out. And we kind of have them um, do. The, I mean, they're essentially going to make a Franken boyfriend. They're going around they're shopping for body parts. A real, uh, yeah, homage to Frankenstein here, where they're going to go and look at all the different boys' body parts with Kyle's head and sew them all onto his head, and Madison has a spell to bring him back to life. Um, so they make this potion. Of course, there's like a blood sacrifice. They draw a pentagram on his chest. Uh, a real dramatic scene here, kind of filmed in a 
a little bit of a fuzzy lens. But of course, yeah, we got shaky camera happening uh, during this whole ceremony. The music was very like industrial, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, the it's kind of hazy. It, it was it was pretty well shot. I should mention the director of this episode is Michael Reimer, uh, and he is uh, he was doing a lot of those American Horror Story techniques throughout this whole thing, like the shots from the upper corner of a, of a room looking mm-hmm. down, uh, and a few fisheye shots as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. there was a lot of very distinctive shots, and of course. Their, um, their spell doesn't work, and so they decide that they're basically going to give up at this point. And so, oh, and I think we forgot to say that the reason Madison actually, after like hating on Kyle, decides that she wants to do this for Zoe is because she finds out that Zoe was like sex that guy to death at the hospital. Basically, um, she hooked her girl up. Yeah, the the guy that. Uh, raped her and stuff so she was kind of trying this was kind of a a good gesture so madison's not so bad right um so anyway madison leaves and zoe wants to is going to be out a second because she's like she's basically going back to kind of like apologize to to kyle for feeling um responsible for his death i guess and Madison sees a car up drive up so she she deserts zoe so zoe's gonna get caught you know we're Setting, setting that up right there. Um, she's inside apologizing when a guard comes in. She's inside apologizing and kissing him, which that was gross. It, that was gross. Um, she's got clearly a weird... she got issues. Like you said, weird emotional love loneliness thing going on. When the guard enters, um, and then we see kind of flashes to Misty, the necromancer. Um now I was tr- the, the, these fl- like cuts were kind of strange to me. Did I, so you're gonna have to help me here with exactly what happened. Did Misty drive to the morgue? Like, did she sense that and drive to the morgue and then? I think she was nearby because she says later on that she felt her power or her energy, meaning she felt Zoe's energy, and that drew her to Zoe. That and then she pops up in the back seat. Right. So you think this scene that we kind of see her kind of cut in and out here was her sensing Zoe right there and that somehow from a distance like that, I'm assuming it's her power, obviously, that um, revives Kyle, not the spell, but it's her necromancer power. That's what I want to ask you. So do you think that Zoe is actually some form of necromancer where she can take life and give life because she can take life. We know that. But maybe there's an untapped side of her that she can give life as well, like when she kisses him. It's some type of a sexual power, maybe. Uh, Or is it that uh, Misty was nearby and she helped it happen? That's an interesting point. Um, Because I definitely thought at first that it was because Misty was nearby. But now that I think about it, last episode we saw that Misty didn't bring that bird back to life until she actually picked it up. And it was right right by her. So it's not like just dead things around her. She can shoot out her her necromancy and bring him back to life necessarily, or at least not that we've seen thus far. Um, Well, I guess with the gators, but she was, I don't know. I'm, uh, that's an interesting point. And maybe what made her sense Zoe in the first place was that she is a necromancer too, or has some of that same power. Um, So I think that's an interesting possibility that I hadn't thought before, but maybe she does have the power to kill with sex and bring back to life with a kiss, which would be, really interesting juxtaposition there 
So I kind of hope that is true. <laughs> what did you, I mean, is that what you thought? Yeah, or that she just, I mean, she only knows one side, and then maybe ultimately she won't need to use sex to do this. She'll be able to do it like Misty does it mm-hmm. without using sex and just her power. I don't know. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But obviously, as we see later on down the road, when they've escaped from with an, an alive, somewhat alive Kyle, and they end up back at Misty's place, and she's rubbing alligator crap on him, uh, they seem like they're starting a friendship. Right. So let's let's kind of skip forward to that because nothing too interesting happens here, of course, except that, of course, Kyle comes back to life then and kills the guard. Um, cl- well, I don't know I don't if think he kills him. Really I think he him. just hurts him. Oh, you think he just hurts him? Well, yeah. Because she, she stops them from doing it, I thought. Well, then he's going to... Yeah, but you have a weird story to tell. Be on the lookout or... Yeah. Something... A really weird story to tell. Um... But I don't even know if we can call this creature Kyle, really, because it's, he doesn't seem to have any real cognitive thought at this point in time. He's just kind of groaning, and um, it's unclear whether or not he's ever going, like, he, he's having actual thoughts, or he's just kind of a groaning Frankenstein monster, which is how he, he seems at this point. But um, they get in the car, she's driving him, it seems like, probably back to Miss Robichaux's, when, of course, Misty's sitting in the back seat and ends up freaking out Zoe, but directing her back to her house in the swamp. Um but Misty seems to make Zoe think that she can, that like, it's just going to take a matter of reteaching Kyle some things and kind of nursing him back to, to life. Um, interesting scene here. We do see them kind of becoming friends, but uh, this, the Stevie Nicks song we have here, this whole white witch thing, um, where they kind of connect on this level. I was going to ask, what, why the focus on this song? What exactly is the draw here? I saw an interview or read an interview with, Ryan Murphy, and he loves Stevie Nicks. So that's why Stevie Nicks got incorporated into this uh, episode, as well as he's she's been in Glee, uh, his other show. So he loves her, and obviously Stevie Nicks has been associated with Wiccans, uh, and she has that kind of witchy uh, energy about her, especially back in the day when she was with Fleetwood Mac, and right after Fleetwood Mac. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's more of a, I think a, from the creator's position, uh, uh, uh it make it's a logical, it's a logical step to include Stevie Nicks because she's kind of this well-known, which not witch per se, but you know, someone who's affiliated or associated with a witch, uh, religion. Not only that, I would absolutely agree with you, but also a figure of female empowerment too, in a lot of ways, which obviously each of these witches um, embodies as well. So um, the way this storyline pretty much ends is with Misty saying she'll take care of Kyle in the swamp and nurse him back to health, and Zoe can visit him there anytime. Um, clearly, Misty's very lonely. She, she says, "Like you, you will come back, won't you?" You know, she's sad when when Zoe's leaving. Um, Which is like another probably... theme of that we yeah. talked about being alone. You know, her and then uh, um, uh, Lolari being alone in that coffin for 180 years or what, whatever. But anyway, so yeah, mm-hmm. Misty deals with it too, being alone. Well, and it seems like obviously she's been outcast from her community since she was outed as a, as a witch. She probably lost all her friends and family and disowned, and they also think she's dead. So she's, yeah, she's a very lonely person. Um, so we have that storyline and that relationship. Um, now I, got, I want to jump I just got to... a 15-minute uh, knock on the door. Okay, we'll speed it up here. Um, okay, next thing I want to talk about is Cordelia and her uh, sonogram. We 
Find out she has a husband, which I was I thought at first that this was a flashback or something like that because there was no indication that she had a husband or anything or didn't li- or didn't live in the house in the first right. episode. Exactly. So I thought yeah. this was kind of a surprise. Um This was this whole storyline just also seemed a little bit out of place and weird to me. Um disconnected from everything, but I assume it will tie in more later on. Uh we find out that she has some kind of infertility stuff going on. Um uh, didn't we do this in season one? <laughs> we did see this in season one as well. Um, we also kind of see magic or, you know, su- the supernatural. Right. She Go doesn't ahead. want to use magic, of course, because she's that, that's her philosophy in life. But it seems pretty, she seems desperate. And her husband or boyfriend, is it her husband or her boyfriend? I don't know. I thought she said husband. Husband. Okay. Uh, says, you know, he knows very well who she is and what she what her powers are. So he's like, do it, do it. She's like, no. Uh, but as we learned from season one, using magic or magic babies don't work well. So I don't know how this is going to bode for the future of whatever comes out of her. Oh, it's not going to end well. I have no doubt there's going to be something dark about this this baby or something. Also, um, you have to have an orgy with snakes, apparently, and an egg to make this baby happen. Yeah, which, I mean, and that's kind of, the storyline starts with uh, a few points. I mean, we find out that Cordelia has a husband. We find out that he knows that she's a witch, which is another interesting point. We find out that he wants her to use the magic so that they can have a baby. She doesn't want to, but it sounds like they've had this discussion maybe before, and she gives him relatively quickly. They come up with the potion. They have this super creepy, bizarre sex scene up in the bedroom where they have sex in like the traditional witch circle with the weird eggs that the snakes come out of and grow super quickly. They're like cutting each other and licking each other's blood. I mean, obviously, it's very. It seems like it must be very dark magic, which Cordelia kind of alludes to. Um, right. And you can't imagine. You have to imagine that dark magic is going to produce a demon. Another. I mean, are we going to see another demon baby? I think that's. A, I kind of hope not. We've already been there. I and I think something different might come out of this. I hope, I hope it would, because then, you know, why would Murphy and Falchuk revisit this? And so I, I, I trust in them. I, I think, I, I just hope we're done with the, I'm 30 something years old. It's time for me to have a baby. I can't have a baby. This is a very tired storyline. Exactly. Um, exactly. But it could be interesting the, the way they do it. I just hope we don't spend all season with her and some weird baby. Yeah, I'd like to see something unique too. Before we pass uh, on to the the final storyline here, I just want to say, do you um, throw me a theory here of something bizarre that could actually happen that would be different from what we've seen? I mean, do you have any guesses as to how they could take a different um, angle on this whole thing? Yeah, her choosing not to want to have a baby, or them deciding not to have a baby. And, well, but the fact that they are having dark. a baby, right? Right. Um, yeah, I. I'm so I, I'm, I'm just, like you said. I'm hoping it's not a demon thing. Um, the only other thing I would say about this whole sequence or this storyline is it. What they did make an interesting point, or the husband makes it when she says, "You know, I'm not trying to play God here," and he says, "You know, well, who who, who would you rather play God in this situation? You know, the doctor or you?" And because that is kind of what modern medicine ha- allows us to do. Uh, so it was kind of a, an interesting commentary, I think, on modern medicine and in vitro fertilization and, you know, selecting uh, how, how you can have a baby, uh, even if biologically it's not meant to be. 
True. And I mean, that's an interesting point too, about the doctor thing, like with all the advances we have in medicine and technology and all that kind of stuff, what is, what constitutes magic really? You know, I think that's an interesting, interesting question to ask ourselves as we continue moving forward, you know, to a character like LaLaurie who comes from the 1800s. I mean, probably like cars and cell phones and all this stuff seem like magic to her, you know? You still there? Yep, I'm here. Okay. Um, so anyway, let's jump to this, of course, last storyline between Fiona LaLaurie and eventually Madame Laveau. Um, we have Fiona basically interrogating LaLaurie, taunting her with fried chicken. Um, the one thing that uh, Cordelia can do right, according to Fiona. <laughs> um, and they talk about uh, basically what put LaLaurie in the coffin. We kind of see... Um, yeah, you know, she talks about this black devil who she was referring to Madame or to Lebeau, Marie Lebeau. Um, we have another flashback where we see that Lalaurie was knocked out, comes out of the house to a mob of basically all the Lebeau's um, homegirls. Yeah, the slaves and stuff that she had chained in her torture room, as well as Lebeau and some others. Uh, Marie Lebeau has hung the rest of. LaLaurie's family there in the street and also pretty much tells her that I'm giving you an even worse punishment than them, which is eternal life. Right. And this is a, some stellar acting by Kathy Bates during this flashback. I thought, I thought this was an intense flashback. I thought that they, the setting was cool. The, I mean the background music while the mob puts her in the casket. Um, did you notice that when like the mob picks up, Lori at the end of this scene and is put it bring her toward the casket it's kind of subtle but it definitely i felt like it made the scene for me it was a really nice touch what it i feel was. like they're they're using the music super effectively um so from there uh fiona is basically sets out to find this longevity potion um so before we we follow fiona to the hairdresser where she runs into marie laveau uh, Nan, in an interesting um, part right here, ends up setting Lalori free because Lalori's thoughts are driving her nuts because she can hear them constantly. And we kind of get a little, we get a little glimpse into Nan's mind. How it sounds like she isn't really able to filter. Maybe she can't really filter and choose what thoughts she hears, but they just kind of jump out at her from whomever. So she can't necessarily help her power. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so Lori gets out and also calls Queenie a slave and knocks her out with a candlestick. Oh my god, out of my way, slave. That I I feel guilty, but I laughed at that. That was pretty funny. But she don't know where she's what era she's dealing with right now. She right. doesn't know about Martin Luther King Jr. She doesn't know about nothing and she runs away. Um Fiona is at a in the meantime at a hair salon in the ninth ward. And we find out that who owns this salon but Marie Laveau. Um, still alive. Clearly, she drank her own longevity potion and is there, too. And we have a uh, neat um, interaction here between Laveau and Fiona. Like, again, another excellent acting on both sides. They're arguing about the history of witches. Um, you know, whether... The descendants of Tituba are, are real witches are on par with the original Salem coven. Um, we 
here, you know, Fiona basically reveals that she knows who Laveau is and how she's been to um, her tomb at St. Louis Cemetery and has seen people, you know, offering relics to her and stuff, but actually, no, she's here in the Ninth Ward owning a hair salon. Is there any significance to the hair salon, or is that just kind of a funny place to put this super powerful voodoo witch? I, I don't think there's significance in it. I think that's just... I mean, she just has killer hair. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't have killer hair. I think, yeah, just unexpected maybe, and maybe that's part of it is it's not easy for people to find or look for her here. You know, people aren't going to come looking for her at this hair salon. Um, Fiona says she wants immortality, and Laveau says, like, why the heck would I give this to you? And, Fiona, or, and Laveau says that, and Fiona says, basically, I have something you want. So they're going to do some, she's going to do some sort of trade, which we assume the barter is going to be, She's going to give Lalori back to Laveau in exchange for immortality. That's what I was assuming. Yeah, you... I I thought so too. I I, I and the, but the the whole and their whole conversation getting to this point is awesome. It's so cool, like seeing these two like killer actresses just chew up this scene with sassing each other, and they're just so strong. It, it, I I mean, I could if this sequence had gone on for another ten minutes, I would have been thrilled yeah great really great dialogue very sharp very fast-paced it was almost sorkin-esque kind of in like the pace we were moving here you know right and Um, by two very strong characters strong-willed characters exactly very very cool scene um and then of course it ends with fiona lighting a couple I think uh, mannequins on fire <laughs> or wigs on fire and basically saying we'll meet again. Um, so we know Laveau is obviously aware that Lolori kind of back and roaming because she goes back home and um, unchains her Minotaur man. Right. Who he's still we do around. see again, which I believe I predicted last you episode. Did. So I just want to point that out. Um, he's going to be roaming around. Poor guy. Apparently they weren't able to take the Minotaur head back off of him. So he's just a, a Minotaur Man, um, does he, does he have? Try to remind me here. He doesn't have hooves, right? He just has no, just the head. legs, just just the head. Um, so I don't know if he's going to gore people or something. That would be kind of sweet. <laughs> we'll see what happens there. Uh, but we're kind of gearing up for war. And then Fiona finds Lalori outside of her house. Um, she tried to run away and just ran to her house and is super upset that they have a plaque on it calling it a horror house <laughs> and that it's become a horror museum. Um, but you know what? When you do awful, sadistic shit like she did, you kind of deserve what's coming. <laughs> right. And uh, Fiona says, at least you're remembered. Better to be remembered for something awful than not remembered at all. Exactly. Which I don't know if I agree with that. That's kind of a twisted perspective. But That's I think it gives us some insight into Fiona. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, which clearly, I mean, I mean, Fiona's a pretty egotistical character. <laughs> uh, but we have Lalori give this speech about missing her daughters, even the ugly one, <laughs> which I think was kind of a funny speech. I don't know if we're supposed to feel a little bit sorry for her here. I don't. Um, but I mean, I do t- see that we're supposed to a little bit. And I, I kind of was like, well, you know, it does suck to lose your family, but that's what you were doing to everyone else, taking their family from them. Uh, she deserves it. Um she deserved everything she got, in my opinion. Uh, but we do see her say, "Hell, you know, hell is real, and hell is being in that box alive by yourself for 150 years. And once again, coming back to this theme, that it, essentially hell is loneliness. Or, or that's a form of hell. 
you know? Which I think will be, once again, an ongoing theme, along with kind of the life and death thing here, is um, probably loneliness versus community. I mean, a lot of these different characters are isolated in different ways, but the idea of the coven and Miss Robichaz is forming this community of misfits, basically. Um, so I think we'll kind of see these this theme, these um, juxtaposing principles in upcoming episodes as well. Right. I want to give a heads up. Uh, or shout out also to the writer of this episode because the dialogue was fantastic, very sharp. Uh, we got most of uh, last episode. Obviously, we got most of our witch, tired witch jokes out of the way. Even mm-hmm. though you and I will still mm-hmm. be making them all season in our podcast, <laughs> absolutely. Uh, but uh, Tim Minier or Minier, I, I don't know how you pronounce it, uh, or maybe it's Minor. Uh, fan- good job, well done, Tim. Mm-hmm. Great job, great job. Um, and of course, the episode ended with kind of some jazz music. Fiona has the line, at least in death, you can't disappoint ones you love, um, which I assume she's referring to Cordelia. And maybe there's a little bit of hint that she is not as callous towards Cordelia as was hinted in the first episode. Maybe she does kind of regret. Yeah, I agree. Um, I agree. Being a I, I think you're right. I, also, that last scene of them walking down the street together and the camera pulling up was awesome. I loved it. It's mm-hmm. like, you know. Walking cool off, I can't see what adventure they're about to go get into. <laughs> exactly. Um, cool last image. I like this scene. Um, I think that this episode improved a lot, like you said, in the um, in the right in the writing for sure. I think that I liked kind of the three distinct storylines. Although I do think that the Cordelia storyline, um, I'm I'm a little skeptical about it moving forward. And I did think that that Queenie excerpt was kind of. Um, it seemed out of place, but for the most part, I was I was really happy with everything. Um, I mean, what were your overall feelings, and what do you rate this episode? I agree with everything you just said, and I would give it a four, solid four. I gave last week a four, but this one was is definitely a four. I think I gave last week a four, maybe a little high, just because I was so excited. <laughs> but this yeah, one is yeah. definitely a solid four. I, well, well crafted from beginning to end, well acted, well written, uh, and the music, like we talked about, was an element that it was fantastic. It really improved. Uh, the, the the stories but i'm you. going to give it yeah i'm going to give it a four as well um because i think that they did definitely pick up their game from last week and i think that last week they were just there's a lot of exposition to go through and a lot of things to set up to kind of get where they wanted to go now we're kind of at a i like the pace we're at it's not plotting i mean it's 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 still very fast paced right we're but moving. it's not it's not too fast you know um we're able to kind of follow these storylines pretty clearly and um I'm excited to see where they're going. So I give it a four as well. Cool. It reminds me of Breaking Bad in the pacing where it's, you know, we're moving along. Like you think like we're setting something up to happen a few episodes down and nope, we're already there. Mm-hmm. Like I do Kyle like is already alive. And I do like that about um, American Horror Story that they've always done that. Is it's like they don't make you wait too long for anything. I mean, even in last season, we were thinking like, oh, maybe we're not going to find out who Bloody Face is till the very end. Well, we found out who he was halfway through the season, you know? Right. And that, awesome. it, it, it ends up taking you by surprise, and they take you in directions you didn't foresee, which I think is a really neat um, and unique way to approach stuff. Good job, American Horror Story. Great job. Great use of music this episode. Yep. I'm pleased. That's a total of 8 out of 10. We're doing Rubbermen again, I believe. I guess so. 8 out of 10 Rubbermen. I think or that's Minotaurs. Maybe start. we should do Minotaurs. Minotaurs. Okay, that's a good one, because then we could say... Uh, the the bull half or the bottom half. Um, boy parts, yeah. eight boy parts, <laughs> eight boy parts. 
Did we give this episode eight boy parts? Um, a lot of exciting stuff coming up. Um, we see that uh, Lalori is made into the maid at Robichaux's. I'm assuming that... Love it. Um, Isn't that a great they, irony? Yeah, it is really great irony. And um, Fiona's trying to kind of put her undercover so that everyone else doesn't figure out who she is. And then we also see that Madison gets into a little bit of a um, row with a neighbor. So Madison is a big troublemaker. I think that we've already pretty much established Patty that. Lapone <laughs> is moving in next door. And yeah, and we get to see Patty Lapone. She's coming up, so that's going to be fun too. Um, awesome. So thanks everyone for, for joining us on this morning edition of This American Horror Story. Again, please check us out on iTunes, This American Horror Story podcast. Email us at thisamericanhorrorstory at gmail.com and check us out at This American Horror Story podcast on Facebook. Um, where can people find more of your work this week? Chris? Twitter, at Chris Husted, Chris with a K. What about you, Tyler? Check me out at TJMoss11 on Twitter. All right, everybody. Thanks so much and have a great week. Happy hauntings.